Well, good afternoon, listeners. This is the DOGS program, the Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools, and we're here to defend and to promote public education. That's education that's public in purpose and outcome. Above all, it's public in access. It's open to all children. The DOGS believe that education is a right. It can never be a charity. Every child, whoever they are, whatever their parentage, wherever they live, in this democracy of ours has the right to the very best education that we as taxpayers can give them. That is our position and we will not resolve from it. Um, We're not interested in charity. We're interested in rights of children, not of parents, but of children. Uh, Now, there's quite a bit of... um, interesting material we've got for you today. We're going to take you to America and Australia too, of course, where the whole inequality issue is placed on a much broader view. Uh, If you go back 100 years, even 200 years, you'll see that the whole idea of inequality is really fairly new. But if they, if you look at the graphs which the political economists are now drawing up all around the world on the World Inequality Database, you will see how since 1980 we have had a big upswing of inequality all around the world, but mainly in the United States, the United Kingdom and uh, some, some, um, of the European nations and Australia. Australia is not as bad as um, America. America is quite shocking and we're not even as bad as the United Kingdom, but we're nowhere near as equal as the Scandinavian countries. We are actually worse than 21 other countries throughout the world. So it is something that we need to look at when we're looking about what is happening to our education system. So we've got a press release 859, which is the new plutocracy and education. This you can find on our website at www.adogs.info. So Dale and I are going to uh, deal with this new plutocracy and education. Uh, in the first section of this um, this program. I also want to tell you about the top 1% of Americans who have taken $50 trillion from the bottom 90%, and that has made the United States much less secure. But don't for a moment think that the same thing is not happening in this country. Not to the same extent, but the trends are very definitely there. And it relates to the um, economic orthodoxy of the Morrison government or the Liblands. Don't worry, the, it was Hawke and Keating who started this in the 1980s. So we are quite um, quite eclectic here on the dogs. We won. We're not going to tell you to vote either Lib or Lab because they're both as bad as each other as far as we're concerned. Then we'll come back to Australia. And we will have a look at what is happening in Australia. We've got some very interesting news right here 
in uh, Victoria, where our government is telling the principals of our state schools that they must not force or charge parents who can't pay the um, requirements for basic education resources in our state school. There's a question of free education in this country of ours. You can't have children's rights to education unless it is free. Free, secular and universal. That is our catch cry. But let's go to press release 859. The new plutocracy and education. In the last 40 years, since the end of the Keynesian redistribution of income and wealth after the Second World War, the elites, with their new, which is actually a very old, market ideology, have tilted our Western mixed economies into a plutocracy. A plutocracy is the rule of the many by the very rich. This, in large part, is the socio-economic underpinning of our current crisis in inequality in educational provision. Not just in Australia, but certainly in America and the UK. And we have a most unfortunate predilection of making their mistakes after them. In Australia, political economists like Andrew Lee have been asking the question, what drives inequality in Australia? In a series of academic articles and in his 2013 book, which is called The Battlers and Billionaires. And you'll occasionally see Andrew Lee on television because he is the opposition shadow spokesman for financial affairs, I believe, in the current parliament. He's an academic, or he has had an academic career, and he's an economist, but I would call him a political economist. For 10 years, though, Jacob Hacker, and the Yale, who's a Yale political scientist, and another man called Paul Pearson, who's a Berkeley political scientist, have been tracking exploding economic inequality in the United States. And so we're going to take you over there to see what what's been done there. In America, they have written a new book. And this book is called Let Them Eat Tweets. And the book explains the full-blown triumph of plutocracy over in the United States of America. Trump is the culmination, not the cause. He's the froth on top. Wealth and power are now concentrated more than ever in the hands of a very small minority. And the Murdochs and the Clocks you can actually identify them. Um, they're there. Wealth and power now concentrated more than ever in the hands of a very small minority. And Trump has persuaded his followers that plutocracy works for them. Now, there's a lady called Jan Resiger, who's a reviewer, and she has reviewed uh, the books that are now being written. And... Gail is going to read you the review so that 
you can find out a little bit more about what people are saying about plutocracy over in America. Over to you, Dale. Thanks, Jean. So I've got the review here on Let Them Eat Tweets. It says, in this summer's book, Let Them Eat Tweets, Hacker and Pearson explicitly identify our government as a plutocracy. And they track how politicians, with the help of right-wing media, shape a populist, racist, gun-toting, religious fundamentalist storyline to distract the public from a government that exclusively serves the wealthy. In a new article published in the Columbia Journalism Review, Journalism's Gatekeepers, Tim Schwab examines our plutocracy from a different point of view. How is the mainstream media, the institution most of us look to for objective objective news, shaped increasingly by philanthropists stepping in to fill the funding gaps as newspapers go broke and news organisations consolidate? In their 2010 classic, winner-take-all politics, Hacker and Pearson present three big clues pointing to the tilt of our economy to winner-take-all. One, hyper-concentration of income. The first clue is that the gains of the winner-take-all economy, befitting its name, have been extraordinarily concentrated. Though economic gaps have grown across the board, the big action is at the top especially at the very top. Two, sustained hyperconcentration. The shift of income towards the top has been sustained increasingly steadily and by historical standards extremely rapidly since 1980. And three, limited benefits for the non-rich. In an era in which those at the top reaped massive gains, the economy stopped working for middle-class and working-class Americans. And that was a quote from winner-take-all politics. Hacker and Pearson's second book in the recent decade, the 2016 American Amnesia, explores America's loss of faith in government and our massive forgetting about the role of government regulation and balance in a capitalist economy. The institution that bears the greatest credit often gets short shrift. That combination of government dexterity and market nimbleness known as the mixed economy. The improvement of health, standards of living and so much else we take for granted occurred when and where government overcame market failures, invested in the advance of science, safeguarded and supported the smooth functioning of markets and ensured that the economic gains became social gains. And that was from page 69 of American Amnesia. In their new Let Them Eat tweets, Hacker and Pearson no longer avoid the label. They now call America a full-blown plutocracy. Quote, this is not a book about Donald Trump. Instead, it is about an immense shift that preceded Trump's rise, has profoundly shaped his political party and its priorities, and poses a threat to our democracy that is certain to outlast his presidency. That shift is the rise of plutocracy, government of, by, and for the rich. Runaway inequality has remade American politics, reorientating power, 
reorienting power and policy towards corporations and the super-rich, particularly the most conservative among them. The rise of plutocracy is a story of post-1980 American politics. After the, Over the last 40 years, the wealthiest Americans and the biggest financial and corporate interests have amassed wealth on a scale unimaginable to prior generations and without parallel in any other Western democracies. The richest 0.1% of Americans now have roughly as much wealth as the bottom 90% combined. They have used that wealth and the connections and influence that come with it to construct a set of political organisations that are also distinctive in historical and cross-national perspective. What makes them distinctive is not just the scope of their influence, especially on the right and far right. It is also the degree to which the plutocrats, the biggest winners in our winner-take-all economy, pursue aims at odds with the broader interests of American society. And that was... at from the first page of Let Them Eat Tweets. But there is a, another hidden element of power of plutocrats. Philanthropies led by the wealthy make charitable gifts which subtly shape news reporting itself. And the subject here is not merely Fox and Breitbart and the other right-wing outlets. Tim Schwab's important report from the Columbia Journalism Review is about one of America's powerful plutocrats, Bill Gates. Schwab explores, quote, a larger trend and ethical issue with billionaire philanthropists bankrolling the news. The Broad Foundation, whose philanthropic agenda includes promoting charter schools, at one point funded part of the LA Times reporting on education. Charles Koch has made charitable donations to journalistic institutions such as the Pointner Institute, as well as news outlets such as the Daily Caller that support his conservative politics. And the Rockefeller Foundation funds Vox's Future Perfect, a reporting project that examines the world through the lens of effective altruism, often looking at philanthropy. As philanthropists increasingly fill in the funding gaps at news organisations, a role that is almost certain to expand in the media downturn following the coronavirus pandemic, an unexamined worry is how this will affect the way newsrooms report on their benefactors, end quote. Those of us who have been following public education policy over the past two decades know that the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation has invested in policy itself, funding think tanks like the Centre on Reinventing Public Education, which brought us portfolio school reform, charter school expansion, which led to Chicago's Renaissance 2010, which led to Arne Duncan's bringing that strategy into federal policy in Race to the Top. We know that the Gates Foundation funded what ended up as an expensive and failed small high school initiative. And after that failed, an experiment with evaluating teachers by their students' standardised test scores and later experimenting with incentive bonuses for teachers who quickly produce higher student scores. We remember that the Gates Foundation 
brought us the now fading Common Core. And we remember that Arne Duncan filled his department with staff hired directly from the Gates Foundation. Well, thank you so much, Dale. That's the American scenery. But how is all this relevant for Australia? Although our Australian plutocracy hasn't yet reached the levels that the uh, really wealthy enjoy in America, they're well on the way. You All you have to do is to see how they behave themselves, particularly when someone dies and they're in the, in the Supreme Court trying to divvy up their billions and their billions. And in our last election, we had to stand back and watch Mr Clive Palmer make sure that Mr Morrison got back in by spending... 80 million on advertising. It was quite extraordinary. So, uh, in Australia, the wealth inequality and the income inequality are growing larger and more damaging by the day. And the wealthy will do very well out of this uh, pandemic, I can assure you. Already the executives are paying themselves with the job people allowance. And this is affecting our next generation, our children who are either in disadvantaged schools or after the COVID lockdown haven't come back to school at all. As in America, there has, since 1980, been a vast transfer of wealth from the bottom 90% to the top 10%. And you can see this on our website in the graphs that we have reproduced from the World Inequality Database. Uh, For example, uh, there is a graph which shows how the top 10% of the Australian population now enjoy 32% of the national income share in 2016. So it would be more now. And this has increased from 24% in 1980. Now, that's, just think about it. That's just the top 10% who, also, who send their children not to our state schools but to the wealthy schools which are draining our public system of our taxpayer dollars. Australia may not yet be as unequal as the United States, yet given the separation of our children into schools for the upper 10% wealthy and the rest, we're well on the way. And we are less equal than 21 other countries in the OECD. There's only about um, five or six that are more unequal than us including the United States and the United Kingdom. We are less equal than France, Portugal, Canada, Greece and the Scandinavian countries. And we should be very careful, too, of philanthropists. Bill Gates and others in America are making policy. We we vote for people to make policy in our parliaments, but the very wealthy are making policy by setting up think tanks. Look at our Institute of Public Affairs. And look at Mr Gonski, who was weeping tears about the disadvantage in our schools, but he himself has set up a philanthropy foundation. So beware philanthropists bearing gifts because education is not a charity, nor is it the privilege of the other 10% of parents. It is the right of the children themselves. 
only a well-resourced public system of education open to all children can fulfil our obligations to this generation of Australian children. And that's enough of my voice for now. Let's have a break. inequality 
not only in Australia but also in America. It is worst in America, though it's pretty bad in China and Russia too around the world, I can tell you that. I think Russia, uh, when they privatised the big state um, enterprises there, uh, they got some of the wealthiest oligarchs in the world. They have a plutocracy with Putin on top. America's got a plutocracy with Mr Trump on top. I don't know which is the better, which is the worse. Um, but the top 1% of Americans have taken $50 trillion from the bottom 90%, and that's made the United States less secure. Uh, the top 10% in Australia and the top 1% have taken quite a lot from our lower 90% too. Not as much as in America, but the more inequality you have in a society, the less stable that society will become. That is the message here. And we're talking about these levels of inequality today on the DOGS program because the most important thing to make an, any society stable is to give our children, the next generation, educational opportunities. The future of our nation, not just of its economic well-being, but its health well-being, every, every aspect of its social well-being, is the opportunity that we give in this generation to our children. But the, the COVID-19 pandemic has exposed the elephant in the room of our societies and it is extreme inequality, income inequality and poverty. How big is this elephant? In America, it's a staggering 50 trillion. I can't give you an exact figure for Australia but it would be billions. And that is how much the upward redistribution of income has cost American workers over the past few decades. And it's not some back-of-the-napkin approximation because according to a groundbreaking New Working Party by Carter Price and Catherine Edwards of the Rand Corporation, there was a more equitable income distributions of three decades following World War II than there is now. So uh, there is nothing new about all this, but the exciting thing is that since 2000, all around the world, there have been political economists who have been studying the growing inequality which was caused or started around about 1980. In our generations, when we do history, we look back at the French Revolution, don't we? And we even look back at 1913, the Belle Epoque, before the First World War. And we think, oh, we're better than that. We, we're much better off than those people in Paris before the French Revolution. And we're better off than the people who were sent to war in the First World War. But are we? We are now, with our income redistribution going further and further to our plutocracy, on the way back towards the levels of inequality that they had in days gone by. And one of the best ways to make things more equal, more fair, 
is to look after our children in our public schools. And that is why the dogs keep coming here to 3CR to tell you about this. And we are so, so fortunate because we can. We can come to 3CR because 3CR isn't dependent on the money of either the government or philanthropists. We're not a charity. We are an independent radio station. We are an independent community radio station. And we are able to tell you these things. So we'll have another little break and then we'll come back and we'll bring you back to Australia and Victoria. Thank you, Dana. Fitzroy Legal Service has launched a free information and advice phone service for people who have been stopped, questioned, fined or charged for breaching the new COVID-19 restrictions. Have you been fined or charged under the new laws or stopped and questioned by police for being outside? Call 0434 136 501. Weekdays between 9am and 5pm. That's 0434 136 501. Or head to fitzroy-legal.org.au for more information. You can also report incidents at covidpolicing.org.au. Fitzroy Legal Service is a 3CR supporter. country, we as Indigenous people know, have censored our right of telling the truth and the truth is what this country is most fearful of, in particular Indigenous truths. Until history is told by the vanquished lens, which is our people telling our story our way, and have the right to be able to incorporate that into a system of learning, well, people are always going to be denied that truth by deceit and lies. When you look at the type of psychological warfare and spiritual warfare that Aboriginal people are caught in. It's not just in the sense of military when they talk about weapons of mass destruction, but you're right, it's in terms of the media and the industry of media is a warfare against our people. And so is religion, I believe, in the Western sense. They're, they're all weapons of mass destruction against our, our people. We need to keep radical voices on air Subscribe now. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419 8377. Well, this is the Dogs Program, the Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools. And if you want to find out more about what we've been talking about this afternoon, you can go to our website at www.adogs.info. Now, back to Victoria. Our state schools have been told not to press parents into paying for key learning materials. I'll read that again. Mm. Our schools have been told not to press parents into paying for key learning Materials. These are state schools. These are public schools. They should be free. Parents shouldn't be forced to pay for key basic learning materials. Dale is going to tell you more about this. Over to you, Dale. Thank you, Jean. Yes, I've got the article that Adam Carey wrote for The Age. 
and it's titled Schools Are Told Not to Press Parents Into Paying for Key Learning Materials. Government schools have been told not to pursue families who do not pay for essential learning materials such as textbooks, stationery and art, and art equipment, but instead to find ways to pay from their own budgets. The directive from the Department of Education has alarmed state school principals who say they've always relied on parental contributions to deliver a full education and now face having to cut programs. State school principals say they've always relied on parental contributions to deliver full education. The department says parents can pursue a refund from any school found to be incorrectly charging them in, quote, breach of the policy, unquote. Where payment is not made for an essential student learning item or activity and the child does not provide their own, the school must make alternative arrangements. For example, make the item available through the school or provide alternative financial support options, a policy document for schools stated. Parental payments for some excursions and online subscriptions to learning tools such as reading eggs have been categorised as essential student learning items for which schools cannot compel parents to pay. School principals have been briefed on the payment, on the parent payment policy in re recent weeks. They were told of multiple cases in which schools have had incorrectly charged families for non-curricular items, including padlocks, and magazines, events such as sports carnivals, graduations and barbecues, and guest speakers and school nurses. Julie Podbury, president of the Victorian branch of the Australian Principals Federation, said the policy overlooked the reality that schools rely on parental contributions to make up for the inadequate government funding. She said the union had been inundated with feedback from state school principals concerned the policy would make it harder to cover staffing costs in areas such as IT and student wellbeing and to pay for equipment in fields such as science and sport. No school is going to hit up any family for money they don't have, Ms Podbury said. Schools are very empathetic empathic when it comes to looking after their families and are deeply aware of the difficult financial circumstances that some families find themselves in. But Ms Podbury said state schools had always relied on local fundraising and parental fees to deliver a full education. We just need parents to understand that if they can afford to support the school financially, they must continue to do so, But because schools rely on additional funds to meet the funding shortfall, she said. Victorian schools received the least government funding per student compared with other states and territories, although an extra $7.2 billion is being added between 2019 and 2020. Parents who send their children to Victorian government schools pay more in fees and contributions than anywhere else in Australia. Data from the Australian Curriculum Assessment and Reporting Authority shows government schools in Victoria received $431.73 million from fees and parental contributions in 2018, the most recent year reported, equating to around $697 per student. This was well above the national average of $490 per student. 
Victorian Education Minister James Molino said the parent payment guidelines were recently refreshed to give schools and families further clarity, consistency and transparency. There has been no change to the policy, he said. Gail McCarty, Executive Officer of Parents Victoria, said many parents who had previously had the income to contribute to schools' fundraising efforts were in a worse financial position this year due to the COVID-19 pandemic. We support principals being able to deliver a quality service, but they need to be very mindful that you don't transfer the responsibility onto the community when the community is already hurting, Ms McCarty said. Now, there are some comments to all this, because a lot of people, for some reason or other, believe that when there's rhetoric, there might be some reality. We're supposed to have a public system which is free, secular and universal. So the comments are really quite interesting. Dale and I will give you some of these comments. What really matters, has written, education funding in Australia is a joke. The federal government that is swimming in cash splashes loads of unnecessary funding in the direction of elite private schools, while the more cash-constrained states fund the public schools who have to run on the skin of an oily rag and rely on voluntary contributions and parental fundraising. Australia is to education funding what the US is to gun control. Weird on a global scale. (laughs) That's a very good point. Respect says, uh, education, compulsory, okay, then free and secular. But that also means that state education has to be funded properly, which it is not at the moment. Myth says, another example of underfunding by the Andrews government to divert money into Daniel Andrews' pet construction projects. The daily exposure of neglect, to bring the health department out of the technological dark ages, sits side by side with underfunding of the public education system. <laughs> and Cat not responds to Myth saying, so true Myth, and let's promise business a $3 billion package because of the state-led hotel quarantine debacle and forget about our kids. Special correspondent note, Our primary school is so underfunded that we don't have a dedicated library. We have books down the middle of a hallway. We have not enough toilets by far. The multi-purpose room has been made into classroom space and we are likely to lose our art area next year. My family can't afford the $500 and something dollars of voluntary fees as nobody in the family is working. Why can't schools be funded to make enough space for the children, firstly, then secondly, find them enough to supply the learning tools they need? It's a public school system. We have had a campaign and many people have contacted the various appropriate ministers that have either received no reply or been told the other schools in the area 
have had great funding. Thanks makes it so much better to know just how many millions we have missed out on. Yes. Uh, Tim Allardyce simply says, fund schools properly. And then Mappy says, schools should never press parents into paying. Of course, this should be the case. And like many of society's corners and cracks, a light has also been shone on the fact that state schools are underfunded and every time there's an issue, we are told to do more with less. This should never be good enough. And parents should ask questions of their government in the loudest voice possible. When teachers do it, we are only seen as whingers. I can tell you right now, my school has already cut a number of subjects next year because it has no money. Cryptic 44 says, well, we certainly can't have the fat cats at the top making up the difference, can we? No, we can't because that's (laughs) (laughs) slippery slope. Jay Chan then says, why would the elite fat cats ever want to pay for the poor unwashed masses to get an education? That would be counterproductive to their aims of financial slavery and exploitation of the poor. In other words, the world needs ditch diggers. Isn't that interesting? Oh, Mr Menzies used to call them hewers of wood and uh, really poke fun at them. Mm. A bit like Trump, if I think about it. Very much. Wait, Raven says, many years ago, when I was running my first school library, I asked the principal why my budget was so much smaller than the budgets of other state schools in their area. He said it was because they charged fees to subsidise the school's own small budgets, while ours didn't. Our kids were too poor to pay such fees. Since then, many state schools have scrapped their libraries altogether to save money, so that will has run dry. I wonder what they will scrap now telling schools with poverty-stricken students that they aren't allowed to house families to buy textbooks or chip in for photocopying is just going to mean they don't have textbooks. Those schools have always given what they can. My school has lent out computers and given dongles to those kids who don't have computers or the internet during the lockdown. They have also dropped off printed work for homes, but budgets are going to run out sooner or later, and then what? I'd like to say here, Dale, that the problem here is that the schools have been let out to dry. The system has been decentralised over the last 40 years or so, since 1980. The decentralisation started then, along with the privatisation, which I find very interesting, because the private schools have always complained that the public system is over-centralised. There's terrible centralised bureaucracy. But our centralised bureaucracies, until 1980s, did provide the schools with all the basic essentials for children's learning. Now the schools have had to pick up the tab and our children are the losers. Centralised bureaucracies, if they are run properly by public servants, who are dedicated to our public education system, not people who have been brought in from the private system, did a very good job for a 100 years and they should be allowed to do it again. But I think there's a couple more here. Over to you, Dan. Yes, KR says the bigger question is why is the education department underfunding schools? 
And SRAD responds by saying, because state budgets have to pass the upper house. And in Victoria, I don't think Labor has ever had control of both houses. Probably the same issue with health funding. And Rex Amundo finishes off by saying, so they can help the needy at the for-profit private schools. Kind of says it all. We'll have a short break now and we'll be right back after these messages. Do you need to renew your subscription? Make a donation. Or pass on some information to a programmer. We can't get to the phone all the time right now, but we're still here. You can call us on 03-94198377. Each weekday between 1 and 5pm and talk to a staff member. That's 03-9419-8377. 3CR Community Radio, here to stay. CCR remains closed to all broadcasters and guests until further notice. The good news is that so many of our programs are producing new shows each week from home. From Lost in Science to Living Free. Done by Law to Defence of Government Schools. Concrete Gang to Chronically Chilled. Mafalda to Music Matters. We're here with compelling content and rousing radio. Listen live or listen later. Tune in, stay safe and keep listening. 3CR Community Radio, here to stay. CR is running a station appeal. We're asking you, the listener, to donate to keep the station going. 3CR relies on the support of our listeners, but we know that many of you are doing it hard. So if you can't, we get it. But if you can, head to 3cr.org.au to make your tax-deductible donation to the 3CR station appeal. qualifications, their pay, their pensions and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government. We're proud product of a government funded primary school education and of a government funded secondary school education. Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world and there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public schools in the world. It's still not good enough that kids with disability miss out. You're listening to The Dogs, the defence of government schools on 3CR. Welcome back to The Dogs Programme, the Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools, here every Saturday at midday to promote and defend public education. And we've got a very interesting article by Angelo Gabrielatis, who is the president of the New South Wales Teachers Federation, a good man for public education. He left Australia for a while to work overseas as as a multinational um, teacher advocate, and uh, now he's back and he's uh, very active indeed. He's written a very interesting article, which Dale is going to read to you, Why Teachers Have Ordered 
an independent inquiry into the value of their work because whatever has happened in the last few weeks, few months of our pandemic, we have suddenly realised that teachers are very, very important people indeed. Over to you. Thank you, Jean. Yes, this article was in the Sydney Morning Herald on the 30th of August this year. Uh, why teachers have ordered an independent inquiry into the value of their work. If there is a silver lining in the COVID-19 pandemic, it will be the lessons we learn. Many of them will be about ourselves, our ability to adapt, endure and make sacrifices for the common good. In the period when most children were learning from home, parents firsthand, parents learned firsthand what it takes to educate children. As the parents of as the president of the New South Wales Teachers Federation, I heard directly from many parents who said it had left them with a newfound appreciation for teachers. It was hard enough helping one child, they said. Educating 25 to 30 children every day was, well, almost unimaginable. That teachers were able to make the transition to remote learning so successfully while dealing with contradictory government directives and their own fears for their safety, tells you much about their expertise and commitment to their students. But it is also important to understand that the pandemic was just a part of a constant stream of change that has affected the work teachers and principals do. The needs of the students they educate have never been greater or more complex. The numbers from disadvantaged and language backgrounds other than English have grown rapidly. There are six times more students with disability in mainstream classrooms now than there were in 2002. The expectations of parents have increased, along with the role of schools play in communities as we deal with globalisation and the rapidly changing nature of work. No profession has been subjected to the constant political interventions that teachers have, to what they teach how they teach it, and the standards they are required to meet. In New South Wales, the ill-advised and negligent shift of more administrative responsibilities to school, combined with the withdrawal of systemic support, has led to a dramatic increase in the compliance obligations of teachers and principals. Teachers and principals have at least two jobs now, teaching and administration, there is enough red tape to cover all the classrooms. The constant changes, the rapidly evolving expectations on the profession and the ill-considered political interventions have led the New South Wales Teachers Federation to commission an independent inquiry into the changing nature and value of the work of teachers and principals. The inquiry begins public hearings in Sydney on Monday. Headed by former West Australian Premier Jeff Gallup, the inquiry will examine the value of the teachers and principals' work, changes in their skills, responsibilities and workload, and whether their salaries have kept pace. The last time there was such an examination was in 2003. One of the reasons we need this inquiry is because when it comes to teachers and principals, the rhetoric of the New South Wales government has not matched its actions. Recently, Premier Gladys Berejiklian said teaching was, quote, one of the most valued occupations on the planet, end quote. Teachers, she said, were, quote, absolutely amazing all the time, but especially during COVID, 
end quote. This is the same Premier who ordered a 12-month wage freeze for teachers and other public sector workers in May. If it goes ahead, the freeze will cost an experienced teacher almost $150,000 in lost earnings over the course of their career. Wage increases have also been capped since 2011 at 2.5% a year for teachers and all other public sector workers. These prescriptions do nothing to keep teachers' wages competitive nor recognise the importance of the role they, they play and how it has changed. This is a critical point when you consider we are at the start of a boom in public school enrolments. Student numbers will increase by almost 25% in the next 20 years. We will need thousands of extra teachers at a time when the job is getting much harder and the salaries have not kept pace with other professions. Throw in the growing shortages of teachers and you start to realise exactly what's at stake. How do we best support our teachers and principals? How do we improve the status of the profession and make it attractive enough to the next generation to ensure we have the teachers we need to deliver a high quality education to every child? And what should we be paying our teachers and principals given the increase in their expertise and responsibilities and the importance of their work? These are the questions we need the Gallup inquiry to answer. Well, there you are. Teachers have suddenly become very important at a time when they are least paid, when they are least uh, supported by the government. Uh, it's a very interesting time that we are coming into. Especially and the teachers need to stand up for themselves. Especially when we consider, we were just talking about the OECD um, disparity comparisons, and uh, you realise that the place on top of the educational map Finland, they pay their teachers more than lawyers. That just shows how much the profession is appreciated and understood to have a culture where a teacher is held in higher esteem than a lawyer is a culture that's going to be successful educationally and economically. You're certainly right there. And we're very lucky to have Parsi Selberg out here in Australia to tell us so. And we're also very lucky to have somebody of Angelo Gabriel Artis's um, uh, skill, uh, I think this is a very good idea to set up this independent inquiry so that they've got facts and figures that they can bring to the table. But I also hope that they go back and understand how important uh, dedicated, centralised administration, which gets the thing, everything out to the schools equally. You can't have equality of opportunity without equality of schools, equality of resourcing of schools. It's, it, it, it's a no-brainer, just a no-brainer. But yes. we seem to always get ourselves into uh, a mess when the wealthy want to have special privileges. Well, I think that's enough for today. Uh, if you want to find out more about what we've been talking about or more about the dogs, go to our website at www.adogs.info. And with some luck, we might have Robert back with us next week. So from Dan and myself, it's bye for now. I saw Joe here last night alive.
listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.